from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got it. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, August 12th. Huge news yesterday in the world of college sports. The Big Ten and the Pac-12 announcing their decision, their intentions to postpone fall sports through the season uh, because of concerns surrounding the coronavirus and their ability to protect student-athletes. We'll hear from Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott on why that decision was unanimous in the Pac-12. Also, what changed over the past week since conferences put out their schedules and seemed pretty intent on playing? Why the roundabout? Why the 180 since that time? As of now, the ACC and SCC seem to be moving forward, as does the Big 12. They announced uh, their intentions to move forward yesterday. So what does this mean for a potential college football playoff? Because you have some members and representatives from uh, schools that won't be playing a potential college football playoff. Also, what about spring football? Could that still be played for some of these other conferences, we'll discuss those possibilities. The Mariners falling to the Rangers 4-2 to two yesterday. And maybe you were flipping some channels because amazing things were happening on several different ones. We had one of the longest playoff hockey games of all time going on. At the same time, Damian Lillard just doing ridiculous Damian Lillard things. So it's all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. The Pac-12 CEO group voted unanimously yesterday to postpone all sports, including football and basketball, through the end of this year. Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott also addressing in a webinar yesterday this tough decision. Well, we're here today to announce the Pac-12 CEO group has decided to postpone all sport competition through the end of the 2020 calendar year. This decision was made after consultation with athletics directors, our coaches, football working groups, and with the Pac-12 COVID-19 Medical Advisory Committee, who expressed concern with moving forward with contact practice. After reviewing all the data and considering the alternatives, and having already delayed the start of our season and compressed our season, the CEO group was unanimous that that this result and this decision was necessary. Who is that CEO group? Well, it's made up of a chancellor or president from each of the conference's 12 universities and member schools, and it's the ultimate decision maker for the Pac-12. The postponement will apply to all sports that were scheduled to start before the end of the year. So that includes winter sports like men's and women's basketball as well. The student athletes who are directly impacted by this, they'll continue to have their scholarships guaranteed. Conference is also encouraging the NCAA to grant students who opt out of playing this academic year an additional year of eligibility. Larry Scott on honoring those scholarships. The student athletes that will be impacted by this, I want to be clear, are going to have their scholarships guaranteed. Uh, and we're going to strongly encourage the NCA uh, to support that with some of their upcoming decisions as well when it comes to eligibility, time to complete uh, degrees uh, and other related academic issues. We'll dig into some of the concerns the medical advisory group had and and said it was concerned over, but also Scott noting that many factors went into this decision, 
including the fact that it's impossible at the college level for them to create a bubble environment. We cannot bubble our student athletes uh, like pro sports can. We're part of broader campus communities. Student athletes are living with peer students um, on campus, uh, interacting, and um, uh, for the reasons that will be identified on here, you know, enough questions and concerns uh, had been raised that uh, and, and answers we need, more time we need, that we didn't feel comfortable uh, moving forward. The CEO group listening to advice from their medical advisory group and said that they had several concerns, including uh, many of its current recommendations could not be achieved consistently and unanimously across all universities at this point in time. Also, how about testing availability? The availability of frequent FDA-approved accurate testing with rapid turnaround time vary at each of the Pac-12 institution locations, not to mention how much that would cost. Many locations within the conference have uh, community test positivity rates and number of cases per 100,000 individuals that exceed levels which infectious disease and public health officials deem safe for group sports. So those were a couple of the concerns that they cited yesterday. Oregon President Michael Schill, who is the chair of the CEO group, also addressing media and people in the webinar saying that they base this decision in science. One of the things that's really important is that you know we are science based right we are we're academics we are going to be looking at facts not just opinions and and that's something uh that that we're deeply committed to at the same time um as larry uh, said we we fully understand that this has had this has tremendous human impacts also spoke uh about the fact that they looked at the cardiac evidence um, we had heard a little bit about myocarditis over the weekend and its connection uh, to COVID-19 concerns about that. But Michael Schill saying they looked at cardiac evidence and just couldn't continue. In the end, we looked at the, the recent cardiac evidence that Dr. Ackerman is going to talk about. We looked at uh, spread, which was increasing in some of our areas. We looked at government uh, directives. And we just said there's too many questions, too much uncertainty. So we will continue to assess and Hopefully we'll be playing in the spring. If you are interested in watching uh, that full webinar, it is online. I believe all the member schools have it up as well as uh, the PAC-12 network. PAC-12 set of conditions related to the coronavirus improved that it would consider a return to competition after January 1st, 2021. Uh, the decision to postpone the fall season yesterday, it followed the same choice from the Big Ten. They announced that they would postpone fall sports about an hour into the Pac-12 CEO group meeting. Kevin Warren, Big 12 commissioner yesterday, uh, saying that he put all his decisions based on health and safety of student athletes. That was first. As things began to evolve, you look at the number of cases that are spiking, the number of deaths, not only in our country, in our states where many of our schools are located, but worldwide, is that I promise that all the decisions that we will make during my tenure here at the Big Ten will always put the mental and physical health and safety and wellness of our student athletes at the center. And uh, when you look at this decision, uh, it just we just believe collectively there's too much uncertainty at this point in time uh, in, in our country and to to really to encourage our student athletes to participate in fall sports. And we just I take this responsibility seriously 
And I will continually do everything in my power to make sure that uh, we put our student athletes in a position to be empowered and to, uh, and to be elevated. But it's people first. A lot of coaches have been vocal about their desire to play this fall and a lot in the Big Ten in particular, whether that was John Harbaugh at Michigan or Ryan Day at Ohio State. Um, Gene Smith, Ohio State athletic director, said that this was a always knew that this was a possibility. And he said yesterday he felt like he failed his student athletes. We we really were were really, really sad and disappointed. We couldn't provide them the opportunity. And that's what I told him. You know, I told him I failed him. You know, I feel I did uh, because we weren't able to uh, create uh, the ultimate protocols for the game itself. Uh, where we could feel comfortable playing it. And I and I shared with them, I feel like I felt them. And I apologized to them and, and told them that, um, you know, I'm going to wake up tomorrow with a, a passion to see if we can figure out a way for them to compete in the spring and play the game they love. Shared with them that you know, they, they still have so many things to be thankful for. Uh, we're going to continue to provide them their services. Uh, relative to uh, medical attention and strength and conditioning, if they want to take advantage of those and, and get a chance to get their education on scholarship. So they have a lot of things to be thankful for. So spend the night uh, to go through your depression or wake up tomorrow with a new passion. Nebraska head coach Scott Frost had been pretty vocal this week, too, about Nebraska wanting to play no matter what. We want to play a Big Ten schedule. I hope that's what happens. Our university is committed to playing no matter what, no matter what that looks like and how, how that looks. We want to play no matter who it is or where it is. So we'll see how all those chips fall. We certainly hope it's in the Big Ten. If it isn't, I think we're prepared to look for other options. Michael Wilbon of Pardon the Interruption of commending the Big Ten for making that decision, although and had some words for Nebraska yesterday. And we can applaud the presidents of the Big Ten, even though – it's a really difficult decision and a yep. day I know they hoped wouldn't come, but they didn't cancel it. That's right. If you can play it down the road, and what are we all talking about? you got to save some money. It's a $4 billion proposition. Then you try to save it. You try to spare it. But you don't just ignore the science as certain football coaches and apparently the University of Nebraska wants you to do Nebraska, which has been a Big Ten member for a minute and a half. For 11 out of 125 years, they want to say we're disappointed in you. No, we're disappointed in you. And I hope somebody on that call said, get the hell out of our conference. Go back to the Big 12. Go join the SEC as if they want you and your 500 record. Get out if you have to act like this toward a conference, which hands you a check for tens of millions of dollars, more than 50, every year just for turning on the lights. Get the hell out if you want to take that attitude toward this conference. Coming up next on The Blitz, it's still a little bit unclear how these decisions by the Big Ten and Pac-12 will impact the college football playoff. But as of now, the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 planning on moving forward. So we'll hear from some of their head coaches and staff as well. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, August 12th. Also the first day of Seahawks training camp that you'll be able to see and stream live. That will happen today. Practice today, uh, 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. And you'll be able to stream that 
on the Seahawks social media channels. So check out YouTube and perhaps even uh, Twitter will have a link for you. But same time tomorrow, same time Friday, although those are subject subject to change as of now. But since you can't be there in person, at least you can watch online and be a part of the action. Meanwhile, a lot of news in the world of college sports, and we discussed the Big Ten and the Pac-12 decisions earlier in the hour, but the ACC and SEC, they are staying the course, have not altered their plans to play a fall season despite those decisions by fellow Power Five conferences. In separate statements, the ACC and SEC both said that they continue to make decisions based on the advice of their own medical advisory groups, along with local and state health guidelines. That is some of the same information that both the Big Ten and Pac-12 cited in their reasoning for making their decisions. The chairman of the ACC Medical Advisory Group is Duke Infectious Disease Specialist Dr. Cameron Wolf, and he told Sports Business Daily that he felt a season could be played safely. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey also putting out a statement saying, quote, I look forward to learning more about the factors that led to the Big Ten and Pac-12 leadership to make to take these actions today. I remain comfortable with a thorough and deliberate approach that the SEC and our 14 members are taking to support a healthy environment for our student athletes. Uh, Ed Orgeron, LSU head coach on the team protocols and his optimism that SEC will be able to have a season. Lillian Jack and Dr. Katie O'Neill is an expert on COVID-19. Came in here and said, if you guys do these things, you're going to be okay. And we have, for the most part. You know, one night our players went to a party they shouldn't have went to, and uh, we had a little spike. But since then, we've had it under control. Now we have just a couple of guys that are sick. They go in uh, quarantine for 9 or 10 days. Anybody around them uh, is in quarantine also. So we got it under control. We feel like uh, we're in good shape right now. When you found out about that party and that your players went to, because I know as a parent, I'd, I'd want to strangle my kid. You know, what did you think about when your players went to a party? You said, wait a minute, guys, what, what did we talk about before all this got started? Protect the team. That's rule number one. And uh, I told them about it. Never since then, uh, I told them that we're not allowed at parties or we're not allowed in the ballrooms. That's a rule that we have during the season here. And I think for the most part, they've obliged by it. Multiple ACC sources indicated that nothing's changed for them from a medical perspective since the Power Five conferences announced their schedules last week. So a lot of people surprised over how quickly the Pac-12 and Big Ten reversed their course. Uh, Reese Davis, ESPN college football commentator, uh, he said the Big Ten needs to share their medical findings. The question was what changed. And if it is indeed medical information, then it's incumbent on the Big Ten to share this medical information with the, with the population at large, not just in sports. Because if they're not playing because of myocarditis, which I'm, I'm not a doctor, that may well be a reasonable thing. But if, if that is a risk, then why are we playing Major League Baseball? How are we going to play the NFL? Why, if anybody gets infected in the NBA bubble, then you know, how is it safe to do that as well? We need this medical information for everyone to evaluate. Dan Lebetard and Bomani Jones also talking about the abrupt change in approach over the past week and how it may center around liability. We've got total chaos. And the part that I find most fascinating about all of this is 
five days ago when the Big Ten said this is going to be our new schedule. And now the difference that you have in five days, you can make the argument that that's because some athletes have come down with heart problems. And that's the humane reason that the Big Ten decided to change his mind. But I feel that what happened in the last five days is the Pac-12 and the Big Ten said, give us stuff in exchange for us testing our bodies. If you're going to put a price on literally the human heart, give us stuff in exchange for that. I do know, though, if I was a president and I had to deal with the potential liability concerns on this, guys were probably not going to play football, at least not in the fall. They Mm got to figure out how to pay all these bills, and I understand this, but the idea that one of them would have the blood on their hands for what happens to a player or what happens to a coach, while they're also trying to figure out what in the world they're going to do if there's an outbreak among the student body, I don't know where they're supposed to go on this. I would lean on the side of caution if I were them. The Big 12 will also continue moving forward with the intention to play fall football. According to multiple reports, the conference's board of directors met for more than an hour yesterday to discuss the viability of the fall season. The decision now leaves three of the Power Five conferences intent on playing, at least for now. A revised Big 12 schedule is expected to be released soon. Teams will still play their nine plus one schedule, so nine conference games, one non-conference game. But the start of the conference season will be delayed until September 26th. Uh, the news comes on the heels of the leagues reportedly, though, being split on the decision of whether to play Baylor Athletic Director Mac Rhodes. He was speaking to a radio station in Waco, Texas earlier in that day and said if the league voted, he expected it to be, quote, really, really close. So still some dissension and uh, indecision among the ranks within these groups uh, that are intent on playing. Now, it's still unclear how the decisions by the Big Ten and Pac-12 will impact the college football playoff. Any decisions about the structure or format of the 14 playoff are made by the College Football Board of Managers, which is composed of 11 university presidents and chancellors, um, including some in the conferences that are deciding not to play, including Washington State's Kirk Schultz. So that is still very much up in the air and a question as of now, as is the idea of spring football coming up on the Blitz. We'll hear a couple of takes on spring football. Reese Davis, ESPN college football commentator, saying he thinks the idea of spring football is irresponsible. Uh, We'll also take a look at the Mariners game yesterday, 4-2 to falling to the Rangers after a really fun night, uh, explosive offensive night. Marco with a few struggles on the mound. We'll hear from Ryan Mullen-Smith. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, August 12th. Thanks for hanging out this morning, bright and early. We also got to hear from Kyle Lewis. Speaking of bright and early, uh, I thought maybe he would be sleepy after his big night uh, two nights ago. But no, when you get him on the phone, he's just as peppy in the morning. And yesterday on Danny Gallant, those two able to take some time and chat with Kyle Lewis, who's been one of the best parts of the Mariners season so far. Unfortunately, uh, for for the Mariners, they fell yesterday to the Rangers 4-2, to two, but Kyle Lewis with some thoughts early on the season. Man, I'm doing well. I'm living a dream. Can't complain. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Overall, a fantastic game to watch last night. T- tell me tell me what you were looking for, how that at bat when you hit the three-run homer, how that at, at bat progressed. Uh, we had a couple runners on base, so I was just trying to uh, stay with my approach and make sure I hit something hard. You know, I didn't really want to hit 
you know, try try too hard to get the runs in and coming out coming up out of my my approach and my swing. So I was just trying to stay through a ball. Then he ended up throwing a breaking ball on the inner half uh, that I was able to get some good backspin on. And so I was pretty happy to see that one go out. I'm curious as to what's changed in your approach from your first months in the majors last year going through this entire period where COVID-19 keeps you from playing baseball to coming out the way that you've started this season where you're front runner for rookie of the year. I think it's just being able to have came up in September last year. I was able to kind of see, you know, kind of the flow of the game, how it goes, the way they kind of pitch just from like a mentality standpoint and the way they kind of try to set you up a little bit. So being able to be and have an off season to kind of review that and talk about it, you know, back at home to be able to come back and then, you know, come back, and restarted over again. I think I, it helped me out a lot with confidence, just going in the box, knowing, you know, that I faced some of the elite pitchers in the game, you know, and that kind of helped me out a lot, you know, when I came back. And so I think that's been the biggest difference as far as comfort level is just having been able to have seen something, a little bit of it, you know, was a huge help. So then when I was able to come back this year, I just tried to relax and slow the game down. I, I've also wondered, Kyle, whether it's more satisfying to rob a home run or to hit a home run in terms of just the emotional jolt of it. Because we've we've seen you hit four, we've seen you come close on a couple this year, and we've seen you rob a home run. Which which feels better? Which provides the bigger thrill? Uh, that's, that's close. I, I I would say I would say it depends on how you rob a home run. I think hitting a home run is still better, just because, especially when you got runners on base, you hit a big home run. And uh, you run around, you get to watch the opposing team just staring at you like, dang. And then you get to uh, cross home plate and all the runners you knocked in are standing there too. So that's pretty cool. That's a good feeling. And then, But at the same time, though, like when you rob a big home run and you you look and see all your team going crazy and you get to run into the dugout and everybody, you know, freaking out, that's pretty cool too. So I would say I would give you hitting a home run a slight edge, but it's very close. I like both. That. And something you're doing is apparently rubbing off on Dylan Moore because he's clobbering home runs too. I didn't know he had that kind of pop. Yeah, he's uh he's made some kind of adjustment. I really haven't even spoken with him about it, but he came back this year smashing balls. He's been doing that since uh, we started summer camp, so he's been smashing baseballs, and uh, it's fun to watch. As a player, does it does it feel like? A regular game? Does it feel like when you came up to the big leagues last season? When you're out in the the game, does do do things feel normal, or does does it feel awkward and different? Just given no fans in the stands, the piped in crowd noise. What's it feel like to be out on the field? Oh, it's back and forth. I think sometimes it, sometimes it feels normal, you know. Some and then sometimes it kind of like big moments where there would normally be a crowd reaction, and there's not. It gets kind of weird. So I think it's kind of a mix, like. The end of games is kind of awkward, you know, because there's no, like, big crowd eruption right at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, the fireworks and whatnot, would, where it would get real loud, sometimes that gets kind of awkward. So, but overall, I think, you know, it's still competition. So, when the lights come on and it's time to play, I think people are able to still get locked in and still play, you know, give it their best effort. But it's, it's definitely a little bit different. 
Kyle Lewis, listen to that full interview online at 710sports.com. Just click on the podcast tab for you. Also, one of our favorites yesterday on Bob David Moore, the hyphen, Ryan Roland-Smith, joining the guys to chat about highlights from the M season thus far. Talking about our buddy Ryan Roland-Smith is with us. Ryan, how are you, man? Is he gone? Did we lose him? I think we lost him. All right. I'm, I'm certain he's happy, though. Right now he's listening on the radio going, you're right, Bob. I'm very happy about this. Yeah. He says, that's right, mate. Can anybody else do an Australian but, accent? By okay. the way, did you, does he have a mohawk now? i got to ask him. Did you see him in the in the yeah, uh, studio there? No. Yeah, one He's of my kids mohawk? thought he looked good. He's really clean shaven on the sides. Yeah, anyway. I, I think we got him now. Ryan, you're with us? I'm with you guys. I was just, you know, I was too excited. I just pressed the uh, hang-up button. Pressed the red button. <laughs> well, let's let's get to the important stuff before we talk about the Mariners. Do you, do you have a mohawk going right now? No, oh, who's, who's back there talking trash? Is that Jim Moore? Is that the haircut? No, uh, no. Actually, Mikey, one of my kids said, "Look at look at Ryan tonight, Dad. His his haircut looks really nice." It, it is. You know, I've, I've had a couple comments. Yeah, you know, down down my local coffee shop. It's like, dude, when are you deploying? I've had that. I've had. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to get the mileage out of his haircut. I go short all the time, so I don't have to go back every couple of weeks. So my hair grows pretty quick. It's a good problem to have. I get it. But um, I just went. I just went really short. I was like, "Oh, let's just keep let's just keep cutting it off." So I went really short. So I have to go back. All right. Times. But I I, I got to ask Jim. Jim, does it look good? Do you like it or no? What, what are you thinking? Yeah, it looks good. Well, that that, right, that, that wasn't that's, very. That's all that matters. That, that's yeah. As long as Jim's giving you a thumbs up, that's really all that matters. <laughs> well, as teenagers that's right. like it, that's yeah, more important. Yeah. They're much yeah, cooler exactly. than Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Hey Ryan, I got. I've got to imagine you were very impressed with what you've seen the past two nights, specifically with Justice Sheffield. That was a gem. I mean, he got out in front of every hitter. He had 16 first pitch strikes. His slider was ridiculous. No walks, and then done last yeah. night. Not not as sharp, but kind of good to see him getting a little bit of a pickle in the fifth and sixth innings and find his way out of it. Give me your thoughts on on what these two young guys did. Yeah, first of all, Justice just going for the throat, get the two strikes and then wham, slider. And if he missed it, he went straight back to it. There wasn't any, you know, over-processing, trying to get cute or trying different options. It was just straight, this is my slider. You know it's coming and you're not going to hit it. And if you have that, I talk about, you know, Logan Gilbert, who hopefully we're going to see at some point this year or next year. Logan Gilbert's that kid. He can try it down the middle. You know it's coming and he gets that bad reaction. That's what Justice Sheffield had last night. It was fun to watch and it was aggressive. You know, there, there was just no backing up. There was no, you know, run, runner on first base and, and trying to over-process. It was just, you know, get after him. And then just, Justin Dunn last night, you know, I, I love the fact that you watch that first inning. One thing with Justin Dunn, he'd get to 0-2 pretty quick. And, and I, I fell into this trap as well. When you're a young pitcher, you, you care about swings and misses and you care about strikeout numbers. You really do. It's just because it's more of a dominating feeling as a pitcher. You want to be able to dominate. And I went through, a, uh, I was pitching well. I went through a situation where I just couldn't strike anyone out. I was like, what is happening? And so all of a sudden you get to 02 quickly, comfortably, and then you try and just do too much. And then you end up 3 2. And that's what Justin done. That's what was happening with him. And the fact that Scott Service let him get through that fifth and then that sixth speaks volumes. First of all, for, for, your confidence just goes through the roof, man. When you have a manager that leads you out there, um, to, to work your way through it, regardless of the score or the situation, let you get deep into that pitch count. I know everyone's so tight now on pitch counts and worrying about young pitchers, but that's the only way you're going to develop. Face a guy three times, be, have your back on, on the ropes, and come out and come out of it and get that you know get that nice little W, first career W for both of them. So it's fun to watch. 
Brian Roland-Smith on with Bob, Dave, and more yesterday. Up next on The Blitz, it's time for the hot list. The Pac-12 students, the We Are United Unity Group, responded to the Pac-12's decision yesterday to postpone the fall season. Damian Lillard propelling the Blazers to a win with another incredible performance. Dame time in full effect. The Tampa Bay Lightning uh, all just winning after a six-hour, five-overtime hockey game, playoff hockey game, uh, one of the longest of all time. It's all in the hot, hot list next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Damian Lillard propelled the Blazers to a 134-131 win over the Mavs on Tuesday after another career performance, 61 points for him, tying his career high, including a 33-foot three-pointer that caromed off the back of the rim, shot straight up into the air and into the net late in the game. Tuesday's scoring spree was Lillard's third 60-plus point game of the season. He joins Will Chamberlain as the only player's in league history with three or more 60-point games in one season. Chamberlain had 15 in 1961-62 and nine the following season. Not bad. Dame Lillard yesterday on being uh, compared to some of the greatest scorers of all time. I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm happy to to be in that type of company. You know, that's that's an honor. Um, And I'm also happy that it came, you know, two of the three came in a winning effort. And, you know, tonight... Uh, couldn't have been better timing for that type of game. So, um, like I said, it's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to be in company with Will. Um, you know, and hopefully, it, you know, it can continue. Late in the game, uh, Dame was caught on camera saying to put some respect on my name emphatically over and over. Uh, what was the reasoning behind that, according to him? Dame, after the game, the emotion and anger you showed and saying put respect on my name. Who was that directed at? Whoever has something to say. Was there anybody in the arena that, in particular? It was just a bunch of people on that, on the opposite side, that press row area, and uh, those are the people who usually have something to say or put out whatever they put out. So it was just in that that direction. Just in that general direction, according to Dame. Uh, the Blazers now have sole possession of eighth place in the Western Conference standings with one seeding game to go. Well, playoff hockey is the best. And yesterday we got a lot of it. Thanks to the Tampa Bay Lightning Columbus Blue Jackets game. The Lightning came out victorious, won an epic game one against the Blue Jackets on Tuesday. It just took six hours, five overtimes, and a combined 151 shots on goal to do it. Braden Point ended up scoring the game winner 150 minutes, 27 seconds into the contest to give them the 3-2 win. It was the fourth longest playoff game in NHL history. So long that the original Boston Bruins-Carolina Hurricanes game time had to be uh, pushed back. Originally slated for last night at 8 p.m. Eastern. It was rescheduled for today at 11 a.m. Takes arena workers roughly 90 minutes to disinfect the benches and clean the ice between games. So uh, they would have been there into the wee hours of the morning. Uh, Blue Jackets goaltender 
Jonas Corpolesco uh, made 35 saves, a new NHL playoff record. Columbus blocked 62 shots in the game. The Lightning alone tallied 88 shots on goal. And Lightning goaltender Andre Vasilevsky finished with 61 saves. The numbers in that one were absolutely incredible. Braden Point on uh, what it was like to play in a marathon game. I've never been in a game that went that long. Um, I was saying, I don't know how many guys on, on either side were in a game, have ever been in a game that long. Uh, definitely a, a battle, physical, mental. Um, glad we came out on top. I mean, I just see a rolling puck come to me, and I, I just throw one on that. I'm not even really aiming. Just sling one there, and, and lucky enough, finds a corner. Like we've been saying, just the, the, the focus was great for our group. Um, we weren't worried about how many shots we were getting or anything like that. We were just focused on competing and, and making sure that uh, we were playing sound defensively. Hockey players hardly ever say the word I. There was a great article on that a couple of years back, I believe, on ESPN.com, but uh, always talking about we and Braden. Certainly a team effort in a marathon game like that. Oakland Athletics outfielder Ramon Laureano has been suspended six games. Houston Astros hitting coach Alex Cintron 20 games for their roles in Sunday's benches-clearing incident between the two teams. Laureano, who also received an undisclosed fine, has appealed the suspension, according to Major League Baseball. Cintron has also received an undisclosed fine, and his suspension begins immediately. In a statement released Tuesday, Cintron said he accepted the suspension and will, quote, learn from this, but denied uh, in that in their verbal altercation, he referenced Laureano's mother, which Laureano accused him of doing, and that's the reason that he ended up leaving first base and... Uh, going after him in the in the dugout but also you can catch him on camera Cintrone beckoning him and uh and motioning for him to to do that um he, Cintron acknowledged that his actions were inappropriate and apologized for his part um yesterday Tim Kirchin addressing both of these suspensions um and saying Cintron well he should have been the adult in the room Alex Cintron is a coach he is a form of authority. He is a teacher. He is supposed to be teaching the young players on this team how to play the game and how to conduct themselves. And instead, he instigated a fight in the middle of a pandemic. That's why he got 20 games. I've talked to people around the league who thought he would get more than that. I talked to people who thought he should be suspended for the rest of the season. I thought he would get Roughly 20. That's what he got. You cannot have this kind of behavior during a pandemic, and you cannot have a coach in the middle of it. Well, speaking of that uh, pandemic and thinking ahead to the MLB postseason, Jeff Passan wrote a great article yesterday for ESPN on how the idea of a bubble environment is being floated among MLB officials for the postseason. They've seen how outbreaks. Uh, on the Marlins and on the Cardinals have impacted scheduling and they don't want that to happen for the postseason passing yesterday on ESPN talking about why the bubble is essential in his mind for the MLB postseason uh, to go off without a hitch. Here's the problem with baseball when you get to the postseason. The reason that they are playing this year, guys, is because there's a billion plus dollars to be made via television revenue in October. All of this is a prelude to the postseason. And so you need sanctity in October. You cannot have a Marlins-type situation. You cannot have a Cardinals-type situation. They've got days to make up during the regular season. In the postseason, there are not any days to make up. So if you have an outbreak on, say, the New York Yankees, are you telling me that Major League Baseball 
is suddenly going to just say to the Yankees, nah, you guys are out. We, you know, we can't make up these lost games, so you have to forfeit and you're done with the play. Clearly, that's not going to happen. Whether it's in L.A., whether it's in the Chicago area, whether it's in New York, there are different possibilities that are being discussed right now by Major League Baseball. These are preliminary discussions, but they are going to get serious soon because MLB understands something very unequivocally. If it does not have a postseason bubble this year, it is running the risk of its entire playoff structure being null and void. That was passing on ESPN Radio yesterday. We'll keep you updated on what that could look like if they do roll out the bubble environment for Major League Baseball. A deal between veteran corner Ross Cockrell and the New York Giants reportedly fell apart at the last minute and on the basis of financial terms not being able to be reached uh, an agreeable deal on both sides. According to ESPN's report, it was believed that Cockrell would be signing with the Giants after visiting on Saturday and undergoing COVID-19 testing. The two sides had an agreement in place, but when it came time to sign a deal, the financial details were no longer to Cockrell's satisfaction. The Giants are still shorthanded at the corner position. DeAndre Baker facing armed robbery charges. Sam Beal having recently opted out, so now uh, still searching for some depth there. The San Diego Padres acquired first baseman Yonder Alonso, the former Mariner, in a trade with the Atlanta Braves on Tuesday. The Padres will send cash to the Braves to complete the deal. Alonso is the brother-in-law of Padres third baseman Manny Machado, and now he'll return to San Diego where he played from 2012 to 2015. Also the city where Machado and Alonso's sister make their off-season home, so plenty of roots there. Yesterday, the Mariners fell 4-2 to the Rangers, and a couple of struggles for Marco Gonzalez on the mound yesterday. Scott Service saying games like these are expected, though, from the young club that they've got. I thought our bats were really good early in the ball game. Uh, you know, we didn't get the big hit, uh, but, you know, we were running up pitch count. and uh, The bats were really good. I thought we did a nice job controlling the zone. We just didn't get that one big double or big hit to kind of get us on the board early on. But, uh, again, i got to give their bullpen credit tonight. Their bullpen threw really well um, and good stuff, and then they executed. So that's going to happen on certain nights. But... Uh, again, uh, just one of those games where they got a few through the infield and we did. Marco Gonzalez out on the mound, five innings pitched for the lefty, given up seven hits, four runs, all of them earned one walk and two strikeouts for Marco yesterday. And service mentioning he wasn't as sharp as he's ha- he's been so far this year. Uh, I thought Marco really uh, you know, gutted it out and hung in there. Wasn't quite as sharp as we've seen him. Uh, certainly the last couple times out. But, uh, and, you know, a couple ground ball hits got through there. Two-run single in the first, and then um, they added on a couple later. But I, I really did think he wasn't quite as sharp, just, you know, commanding the strike zone like he has been the last couple times out. But got us through five. Skipper's still impressed that Marco able to hang in there and give them a chance to come back in that game. Just not able to complete that offensive rally. The Pac-12 CEO group announced and voted unanimously yesterday to postpone all sports, including football and basketball, through the end of the year. Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott on coming to that tough decision. We're here today to announce the Pac-12 CEO group has decided to postpone all sport competition through the end of the 2020 calendar year. This decision was made after consultation with athletics directors, our coaches, football working groups, and with the Pac-12 COVID-19 Medical Advisory Committee, who expressed concern with moving forward with contact practice. After reviewing all the data and considering the alternatives, and having already delayed the start of our season and compressed 
RCs. And the CEO group was unanimous that this result, that this resultant's decision uh, was necessary. The postponement applies to all sports that were scheduled to start before the end of the year. So that includes winter sports like men's and women's basketball. Impacted student athletes will continue to have their scholarships guaranteed. And the Pac-12 also encouraging the NCAA to grant students who opt out of playing this academic year an additional year of eligibility. The student athletes that will be impacted by this, I want to be clear, are going to have their scholarships guaranteed. Uh, And we're going to strongly encourage the NCAA uh, to support that with some of their upcoming decisions as well when it comes to eligibility, time to complete uh, degrees, uh, and other related academic issues. Scott said in the news conference that a lot of factors went into the Pac-12's decision, including the fact that creating a bubble-like environment, as some pro sports have done and some have done pretty successfully, well, it was just impossible to replicate that idea on college campus. We cannot bubble our student-athletes like pro sports can. We're part of broader campus communities. Student-athletes are living with peer students um, on campus, uh, interacting, and um, uh, for reasons that will be identified, on here, you know, enough questions and concerns uh, had been raised that uh, and, and answers we need, more time we need, that we didn't feel comfortable uh, moving forward. Some of those concerns uh, came from the league's medical advisory group and said that it was concerned their current recommendations could not be achieved consistently, consistently across all universities at this point in time. They were also concerned that the availability of frequent FDA-approved accurate testing with rapid turnaround uh, that varied, the availability of that at each of the Pac-12 institution locations. We also uh, got to hear from Oregon President Michael Schill, the chair of the CEO group, that they were science-based, that this was based in academics, and the student-athletes were at the heart of this decision. Pac-12 said if conditions related to the coronavirus improve, it would consider a return to competition after January 1st, 2012. Now, that decision to postpone the fall schedule followed the same decision from the Big Ten, which announced that it would postpone about an hour into the Pac-12 CEO group meeting. As of now, though, uh, the ACC and SEC, they commit committed to remain committed to their plans, have not altered them to play a fall season, despite other decisions in the Power Five. We also heard uh, or at least reports of the Big 12 continuing to move forward with the intent of playing fall football. What will this mean for the actual college football playoff? We don't know as of yet. And also, could these potentially Power 5 conferences change their mind if more medical information is available? Also still a possibility on the table. That's a wrap for the hot list in the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.